Hey friends, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to Good, True, and Beautiful. We are joined today by a dear friend of ours, uh, Jedediah Jenkins. He has just put a new uh, piece of his work into the world. Uh, a book was released this week, Like Streams to the Ocean. And uh, you know with Jed, you, you're always going to walk down metaphor lane. And when I introduce this guy, where do I begin? Uh, mystic, poet, sage, uh, uh, always curious about life, always curious about mystery. He is one of us. We are one of him. I, I don't know. That's, that's my, that's my hodgepodge bio for Jed Jenkins. How'd I do Jed? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'm a sage or any of those <laughs> words, but sounds great. Yes. You're what a I sage. Own that. Yeah. You're a sage. <laughs> I um, don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, good, to, good to be here again. Hey ma'am. Um, grateful to have you here. Always uh, super glad to have your voice and um, just hear what's stirring around in your head, heart, and soul. Um, a new book is in the world. Tell me about it. Yeah, this uh, it's a collection of essays called Like Streams to the Ocean. I really wanted to... Oh, I guess after I wrote To Shake the Sleeping Self, you know, a very specific memoir about my childhood and life and then grow, uh, going on a 16-month, 14,000-mile bike trip across Latin America, I found myself wanting to just explore ideas. And I, I just found like where that's where my like writing life and my curiosity went is just like, what are the things that like we should be thinking about in this one and only life? And as I distilled some of my past writings, I, I was trying to like find an algorithm of my own attention that mm -hmm. I hadn't, so that I hadn't been aware of. And so I collected all my favorite things I'd written over the last five years and put them all together and looked to see what relevant patterns bubbled to the surface. And I found that I wrote about these eight things the most, which is ego, family, home, friendship, love, work, death, and the soul. And I was like, wow. I mean, if I was in a bookstore and I saw any of those words on a book, I would be like, I want to read about that. <laughs> and one of the like key factors that I consider when writing is write what you would want to read. Hmm. Like, yeah. don't ever write something you wouldn't read. And um, I'm also kind of a picky reader. So I, pitched that to my agent and then my publishers. I was like, I think it'd be really cool to have a book of essays about these eight subjects. And they were stoked. And so the book was born. And here we are. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, and I'm just kind of gathering uh, the breadcrumbs here, but did a lot of this stem from, it seems like you had this beautiful practice via Instagram of, really dialing in some of these dialogues and conversations and, and you look up a few years later and you go, Whoa, there's a lot of threads, similar threads running through all of these posts. Were they, was that kind of the door that opened maybe this idea for you? Totally. Well, I do almost all of my writing online yeah. on Instagram because it's almost, I mean, if you look at a Richard Rohr, a Seth Godin, um, 
when you get on their email chains and they do like daily writings or even like a daily devotion of whatever, they're almost always, you know, about a thousand words or there's a cadence. 500, 500 words to a thousand words. It's like not that long, but long enough to complete an idea. And the length of an Instagram caption is 2000. I think it's 2022 characters or 2,222 characters, I think, including spaces. And that is what I've learned, a very um, interesting uh, picture frame to mm. paint within, yeah. Yeah. like a boundary that says, can you explain an idea in this amount of space? Because a lot of writers are very wordy and they get drunk on their own language and they just go, 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 go. And... I do that. I know that I do that because I love language, but the character limit on Instagram actually is this like almost like writing exercise. And it's really trained me over the years of just kind of doing it for fun um, to, to like challenge myself. Can you talk about this in chunks of this size? And so anyway, I had been doing that for five years and that, and so many times to my surprise and joy, people say, oh, I wish this existed on paper so I could actually hold it. <laughs> like this meant a lot to me, or I read this at my wedding, or I read this at my mother's funeral. And I had to like type it out and then hold it on a piece of paper because I didn't want to be holding my phone and reading at a funeral. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, it would be cool to get this on paper somehow. And so basically I took my favorite ones, built a skeleton and then wrote essay, like essays around them. Beautiful. I love that. As a writer, how do you gather your notes? Is there, is there any rhythm or discipline or practice of like, Oh, that's interesting. I need to, I need to revisit that. Do you have any practice along those lines? Well, in, in normal life, I actually have, quite a few notes in the notes app on my phone of like, I'll have an idea or someone will say something interesting or something will click. And I also have a terrible memory. So I always write it down. Yep. Yep. And, and then it's rare then I can go back and look at it or, or like, Ooh, that's something interesting to write about. That happens to me all the time or a quote that I'll see. I'll like write it down or take a picture of it. Of course. I mean, I take pictures of things all the time, like a page in a book. I'll take a picture of it um, so that I have it. Yeah, yeah. And I've never like, I have yet to write a book. Well, that's not true. With, with To Shake the Sleeping Self, there was quite a bit of like Inca and like Aztec history in it. And so I basically just had stacks of books with underlines and like dog ears and whatever and would just go through and insert the history and then the little footnotes as as good as I as well as I could. And what's amazing when you actually sign with a real publisher is they have like people whose job it is to make sure that when you're referencing something that you're doing it legitimately, yeah. which is good to know. <laughs> Um, so I'm always curious, uh, especially with you on the other side of a book, 
kind of connecting dots, looking backwards and kind of going, okay, I've written this now. This is what I know. And when you bullet point ego, family, home, friendship, love, work, death, soul, I mean, that's a very, that we're probably never going to be able to totally wrap our hands around each of these things. What are they? What do they mean? What's it mean to, you know, live life with them, live life through them, walk with them, dance with them, all those different metaphors. Um, But I'd love to just like go down this list and be like, Jed Jenkins, what do you know now about this? Uh, Where's the wisdom that you've found about this? Because I think wisdom's greater than information, right? And they're two different conversations. Um, so if you're cool with that, I would love to just go down the list and kind of, kind of give you some snippets and let you run with it. I'd love to try. Um, Might as well. what I'll say. Let's see where we go. (laughs) So, uh, well, let's begin at ego. Jed Jenkins, what do you know about ego? Well, my interpretation of ego and the way that I define that word for myself is more Eckhart Tolle Tolle than it is the Mm. traditional colloquial understanding of the word ego, which many people, when they hear that word, they think it means like personal bravado and thinking that you are better than other people. Right. Where like in philosophy and ego means the thing that is your sense of self and like, the like je ne sais quoi thing that is you. And that's, that is the thing that's, that interests me. Like, what is it that makes a person? Like, what is it that makes a self? Cause it's not just, it's not the soul. Cause like when you say that, what are you even saying? Is it free will? Is it choice? Like what's choosing first of all? And what does that even mean? And then, like, what is a choice? I could talk about that forever. It's so confusing and strange. Um, and I don't know. I, To me, what do I know about ego at this stage in my life? You know, I think I know that so much of the thriving of the potential to thriving that you have on the, on this planet in your one and only life has to do with who you think you are Hmm. and how you know yourself and people that do not know themselves, do not know the source of their motives, do not know the source of their actions. And they're just in a fog and in a confusion. They are at the mercy of themselves and they are constantly surprised by their moods by their anger by their depression by their behavior and seeking to understand yourself and what makes you tick and what makes you who you are is such a worthy use of your time Hmm. would you say that as you take step after step in your journey uh, that flagging the ego, um, like, oh, there's that. Oh, I'm not speaking from the true self. That's it, there's ego. Do you start mm. to notice it more once once you name it? 
you know, and like Tole says, you know, just to think it doesn't mean that it's so. Um, right. Uh, has that been your experience? Or does it even become more elusive and camouflaged? Well, flagging it is very much part of it, which is, oh, I'm doing that again. Or, oh, this is a behavior, this is a pattern that I do. And understanding why do I do that? And I don't really believe there's like a true self and a false self and an ego. And I think everything is you. Like, you do something bad, you did that. You want something bad, you want something bad, but you are just such a complex combination of desires, traits, history, circumstance, chance, design, whatever it is, that you are not one thing and you are not one choice and you are complex. You contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. understand, and to me, like, observing yourself as a pattern to be understood like okay wow when i fall in love with someone i tend to behave like this why do i do that what does that mean what is the cause of that what am i looking for and why do i expect a b and c from someone when they never promised it in the first place huh i wonder if that has something to do with what i saw modeled to me as a child or what i experienced as a child like i wonder And then once you can really begin unpacking those things, then you can kind of get back behind the driver's, Mm -hmm. the steering wheel in the driver's seat of your own life. (laughs) Totally. Does, does Roar's verbiage of like ego being the container, soul essence being the contents, is that helpful, helpful to you or do you have a hard time with that? Uh, It is, it is helpful. I, but to me, it's like, and I think Roar would say this as well, it's the, all language is metaphor. Mm-hmm. So they, they can only go so far. Yeah. Yeah. It all lives. You know, like the, the, um, the lines blur together at the edges. So it's like you get too close to one and then you kind of lose what you're talking about. So, and they're more stark in the center of each. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but yes, that's well that delineation is really it is helpful yeah yeah he always teaches tell the truth but tell it slant all words words limp you know yes it's so true um okay check mark beauty i love it um well (laughs) said uh family tell me jed jenkins family what he knows about family in this book I, when I say family, I mean, basically the people that were around you that raised you or grew up with you. And then, and then if those people are still around, how they interface with your adult life. And so, because that, that, I mean, it's very common. I would say most people have some degree of understanding of that, maybe the vast majority. And, um, it's just an interesting relationship. It's, it's one of the only relationships we have that is like tethered outside of your control to some degree. Like you don't get to choose who your mother is. You don't get to choose your siblings. You can choose your friends. You can choose your spouse to some degree. You can choose pretty much a lot of any other human interaction, but 
your family and the way it made you feel as a child and how that has ramifications forevermore is just something that happens to you. And that's an important thing to unpack because that affects every year that follows it. (laughs) Totally. And it tends to be, I shouldn't use the word birthplace, but maybe, maybe the, uh, uh, where our attack on essence began, right? When the world was initially fractured for us, when we left joy, candy, and playtime and went, oh, there's rules. There's in, there's out, there's right, there's wrong. That that fracture that happens uh, can often be tethered in that space. Well, I I mean, I think it is always tethered in that space. Any fracture, I mean, what what I I went to this amazing... um, I get it's almost like group therapy, personal growth retreat called Onsite. It's in outside yes. of Nashville, and yes, sir, and it's fantastic. And uh, we've had Miles Adcox on a few times. Oh yeah, oh he's amazing, and that place is amazing. And one of the key lessons I learned there is the, and I write about this extensively in the book. The world that when you're between eight and ten years old is when the brain comes online, meaning all of a sudden your sense of self locks into place and you realize that you are a human with one and only life that can die and that you like your mother will die. You have a life you exist. That's like a five-year-old doesn't really understand that. And certainly not a two or three-year-old, but an eight-year-old does. And basically that is a horrifying existential experience. Mm. And so what your brain does when that starts to happen and all those neurons begin connecting, it looks around the world and says, what is the world? And am I safe? How do I be safe? How do I find love? How do I not get in trouble? How do I make sure I'm fed and not killed? And it looks around the world as it is in those years and formulates a theory of everything. And if your parents were going through a divorce, if they were abusive or even something like smaller, if, if your parents were happily married, but your sibling was a soccer star and you weren't, or these are the things that get implanted into the very basement floor of your programming. And you will spend the rest of your life processing. Critique labels, judgment, all begins there. All of it. Yeah. All of it. And yeah. so, and they do these amazing exercises where you like recreate your world then. And then it, it's just a, an incredibly clarifying experience. Hmm. But um, I always, when, when I talk about family, I think about a kid and their family at that time period. Hmm. Yeah. And how impactful that is. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well said. Um, why don't we move into friendship then? Because for me, those lines blur. Um, mm-hmm. fa- fam- family and friendship. Um, it was always mirrored to me in my home that that, that was a very, the lines blurred there. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad did this so well, does this so well. Um, what do you know about friendship? Well, friendship is the most important relationship. Well, 
I guess that and your significant other partner um, that exists, that is chosen. And even friendship with family, you don't get to choose your family, but you get to choose if you are friends with your family. And that is, it's, it's predicated on mutual growth and ascent and joy and observation, mutual journey. Hmm. It is like we are both looking at the same thing and laughing at the same thing or moving in the same direction or committed to building this thing together. And I let, and I want your presence around me and your existence in proximity to mine benefits my life. That is what friendship is. And I think it is the backbone of what makes life worth living. I mean, just... I just recently watched Into the Wild again, which is such a fantastic movie. And, you know, his hard-won lesson of, of exactly that. Um, but I don't know. For, I mean, friendship to me is the most holy, incredible thing that is also when it's best, at its best, is effortless. Mm. Yep. And, and is almost purely life-giving at least in my life i'm an enneagram seven so this would make a lot of sense but like i am my most tingly and alive and full of joy when i am just howling laughing in the flow with a few friends <laughs> that is like my greatest because like even i'm thinking about the times i've been in love with a significant other and I've been at my best and, and like thriving and laughing and having fun, but there's a charge and an energy to like how important that relationship feels. And does he like me as much as I like him? Am I laughing too much? Or like, am I annoying? Or like, Oh no, what if this ends someday? I'm having so much fun. What if this like doesn't last, you know, like you can have these moments of fear. Whereas with friendship, you don't think like that. You just are purely enjoying it. There's no... There's no force. It's all flow. It's all flow. Yeah. There's no... There is, there's not even really commitment. Yeah, there's yeah. just... Organic presence. It just is. Organic presence yes. that needs no words. Maybe maybe needs no agenda. There it is. Yes. It needs no and agenda. I mean, for a committed relationship to work, there needs to be an agenda. Yep. You yep. need to say, I am for you and you are for me mm. and I will forsake all others. That's like the covenant. That's the point. But friendship, if you do that to friendship, it almost taints it. Mm. Because then you're locking it. You're saying, I won't allow you to grow away from me and learn new things and connect with new people and change. I, and we've all experienced this in our life where if you're old enough to have grown into new phases of life, you've had old friends that didn't track your own growth yeah. or they grew in a different direction yeah. and there was tension and it's like, wow, you've changed. And it's like, no shit. <laughs> Good. I yeah. mean, hopefully it was for, sometimes it's for negative reasons, but yeah. Yeah. No agenda, anyway, no expectations. Just right. Like, the joke is joy. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. the jo the joke of friendship is like, are we laughing? Is is there a fire? Are we just here? Uh, yes. Yeah. And then there's like, I mean, I talk about this quite ad nauseum or quite a bit in the book of how like friends have different roles. Like 
not every friend has to be all the roles. And by the mm -hmm. way, neither does your partner or your spouse, but some friends are hilarious. Some friends are philosophical. Some friends are mischievous. Some friends will party with you till sunrise. Some go to bed at 9 PM, but they'll wake up for coffee with, you know, it's like, and that's great. Like we're meant to live in community like that. Yeah. 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 Well said. Um, beautiful. I love this. Um, <laughs> how about work? I'm interested to hear Jed on work. Cause you've, you've had a lot of hats in a very short run, you know, I yeah, in, in, I in a decade of time, you've always been Jed, but like Jed, the lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so go ahead. Go ahead. Um, work to me, I could have said career. I could have said how you pay your rent or your mortgage. I could have said your life's purpose and passion, whatever. Like I, I'm a, tr one thing that you'll notice if you read this book to any listeners is that I'm not here telling people what these things are. I'm like, I want to have conversations about these things. And this is like wood and kindling for the fire of like your own experience and thinking about them. And hopefully I like push you down the road a little bit and then you can push me back and we'll get somewhere. But um, I am in this precarious situation where I, I, I am living my dream. I have my dream job. Mm. It is my passion. I'm obsessed with it. I have the best time. I am rewarded for it. I have succeeded in doing it. I am that annoying story that, and, and, and it's, I took a risk. I could have, you know, I could have screwed up my whole career. I quit my job and I did this thing. And then I got a book agent and then it was sold to a big five publisher and I got a good book deal. It's like all these things. And, people ask me how do I do it and I'm like I have no idea I'm just living my life I didn't like read a how-to book and so to th this is a something where I'm like all I can say is I can report back and tell you what I did hmm. and how it felt and but I also know that there I you can find so much meaning in so many different jobs yeah and I think about my grandfather owned gas stations in the Ozarks. Maybe actually he only owned one, but I think it was over the course of time he owned a few, but one at a time. Marty Bird? And he worked... What? <laughs> the guy from Ozark, Marty Bird. Oh, oh, oh my God, exactly. <laughs> That's how he embezzled cartel money. But he worked his whole life doing that. He was a genius. He like skipped two grades in school. An incredible, kind man. Amazing provided for my family or you know my grandmother and my mom and her sister and brother and I, I i don't know if he even would have ever thought that like petroleum is my passion no he's like this is a job and it provides for my family and that is great like i feel like in that era that generation was just truly like hard and good work yeah. that produced and provided for your family was, was the meaning. Yeah. It was the mission. That's right. And then as you know, the generations evolved and America got richer and the middle-class got larger. I mean, by the time you get to millennials, it's like, Oh, if you're not in love every day, 
if you live to work, if you work to live and you don't live to work, then you're doing it wrong. Like is, is it is pretty jacked up. I I just don't think that's true. Like until we have a universal basic income and robots are doing every boring job and everyone is paid enough to sit around and write poetry, then I don't like that idea. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, let me, so three, can I, can I share a new practice I have with you? So three weeks ago, so I'm in the real estate business, right? I put deals together. Mm-hmm. I help people buy and sell real estate. Uh, and um, outside looking in, pretty plain Jane vanilla. And and I was driving around town, and I and I felt like I felt like I had an out of body experience of like seeing my ego, like my eyes were scrunched. The day was like overwhelmingly too serious, and I was kind of ticked. And out of nowhere, mm. I just start smiling while I'm driving. <laughs> and and if you would have looked in my car at me, you would have thought he he probably needs to be checked in somewhere. But this is <laughs> this is my this is my new practice. And what I've found is I've actually found the magic again. They're like mm. how how you do anything is how you do everything. It it really it it. The joke is, it does not matter what you are doing. Mm. But is your essence there? Or is it all ego? Um, you know. Well, and so, well I, my, my question would be, whatever you're doing, how do you find if your essence is there? Or, or, or is that a choice? Very true. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And I think we could throw mud on the wall all day on that um but for me it was like just it it was this like stop buying your own pr don't take yourself so seriously and my senses are if the soul is smiling the hands will find joy no matter what it is i totally agree and so if it's filling cars with gas sweet if it's writing great if it's poetry great if it's putting deals together great it we are too caught up. That that is ego consciousness one on one. What do you do, right? Yeah, that's how we introduce ourselves. This is what I do, and we've exchanged that for this is who I am. Um, and I think the beauty happens with work is when you exchange. I am what I do with this is who I am, and I happen to be a writer. I happen to fill up cars with gas in the Ozarks. Um, yeah, and yeah. and I'm really damn good at it, or whatever. Sure. You know? Like, I just feel like, like for me, I do have a job of my dreams, but that stemmed from me having a cool job working at Invisible Children, a charity. I'm like helping my friends make documentaries. I'm going to Uganda. It wasn't my passion. It was just a really cool job based on the fact that I had friends who had big ideas and were like radically trying new ways of raising awareness for people in need. I was mm-hmm. like, and they asked me as a lawyer to come on to their team because they needed one. And so I was like, oh, cool. This sounds better than like working some godforsaken corporate job. Like, and I'll make way less money, but I'm an Enneagram seven and I need to have fun. So I'll, I'll like, <laughs> I'll live with roommates and drive a Honda Civic and laugh every day. That sounds perfect. <laughs> but anyway, in the course of working there, 
I discover that I love writing and that I'm good at it because I am affirmed by so many people at it. And then Invisible Children asks me to hire another lawyer and become a full-time writer for them, mm. and write voiceover and write campaigns and basically be the head writer for the whole organization. And that was not something I asked for. It was something they saw in me and called forth. And, and then that lit a fire in me of, wow, not only do I love doing this, but it loves me back. Mm. And so, wow, well, all my heroes write books. I guess I don't see why they're any more human than me. So what if I could write a book? And now it's so easy to self-publish. I just could do that. Mm. So even if a publisher doesn't care, I'm going to try because then I'll just be proud of myself. Like, wow, I wrote a book and I did that. And I was like about to self-publish it in an agent. And I post about it on Instagram. I was like, well, I'm going to publish this thing. So guys get ready. And then a agent reached out to me and said, please don't do that. I want to sell your book. And wow. so it's thing. it's, but it's just like, you just gave the 10,000 hours talk though. If you think about it, you didn't know it, but you were earning your 10,000 hours. Yes. Yes. But I think what the, the, the I think the, um, insinuation for a lot of people when they think about 10,000 hours is, well, how the hell do I know what to spend 10,000 hours doing? Gotcha. Like, I don't even know what I like. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, for me, if I hadn't been affirmed in my writing and like had it called out of me and it hadn't bubbled out of me and risen to the surface and then, and then celebrated, I don't think I would have ever thought about it. I would have mm. just stayed in the charity world and I would have done that for my whole life. And that's great. I probably would have loved it, you know, but so I think that to say like, I felt very alive and mm. very embodied and very full of joy and community working at invisible children. And I could have definitely done that forever, but I just felt this thing that I was like, well, I'm still young. I if it would be very cool to write books, so I'm gonna try. And you just try, and you hit submit, and you just try. Like, yeah. if you have the room to breathe, if you have, if you are blessed enough to have the room to breathe, and then you can use that breath for something that you feel is like bubbling to the surface in your life, then try. Well said. And it might change your life it did mine you, you just gave the jed jenkins commencement address well said <laughs> oh good I'll, thank god you're recording this because yeah, yeah, yeah. i forget what i said but yeah. it's great yeah you'll be good to go um what about soul let's wrap it up chatting about soul is well we can't there... skip death oh well, you're right we can't skip death yes we can't jump over death. i put soul i put soul after <laughs> death because like one would hope. Hey, the pattern of everything. Um, let's, let's go. What do you know about death? Well, I don't know much because I haven't experienced it personally, but I do know how it feels when someone you love dies. I've had one of my best friends fall into a coma for 17 days and die. I've had both my, all four of my grandparents who I loved die. Um, and it is, 
I, I'm just fascinated by it. And I, I mean, I'm sure there are other cultures that do it way better than us, but I know we must do it the worst, which is pretend that we don't die. Like, I'd be curious to ask most Americans, have you ever seen a dead body that wasn't in a casket? Like, have you ever just seen a dead body? And I would venture to say a majority of people would say no. Mm. And that's if every single person dies and you can live 30 years, 20 years, 40 years, never seeing a dead body that we sweep them away and they're whoop, they're boom, gone. They're in some refrigerator and then bada bing, we burn them and they're gone. And then they, it's just like, we don't even know that death exists. Mm. And I, I'm not saying we should just leave bodies everywhere. I'm just, we do such a good job of like our, in our culture, we don't like take care of the elderly. We put them in homes. We don't live with multi-generational families. We get out of there at 18 and never come back. We like, there's just such a avoidance of it that even to, while you're eating the flesh of another animal, while you're eating a hamburger, you'll feel guilty for stepping on a spider because you killed it. You know, like (laughs) we're so divorced from the connection of life and death and how common it is, how universal it is that I just find that to be terribly problematic. So I just, it's the shortest chapter in the book because who can know too much about it? But I just found, I just find it so important to think about Hmm. and to be, and to be less precious with. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I'm deeply not afraid of being dead. And because I was dead long, I mean, I didn't exist way longer than I existed, you know, in terms of my consciousness. I've been here for 38 years. I have no memory of the 4 billion years before, and I didn't care. I wasn't here. I mean, I might have been a soul somewhere, like playing checkers in the clouds, but I don't remember it. (laughs) Every single night of my life, and I'm a deep sleeper, I go to sleep and I disappear. Yeah. And then I appear again eight hours later. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, here I am. So it's like, I fear pain. I don't want to be in pain for a number of years or in some horrible accident. But to be dead is great. It's like, okay, well, I've been dead more than I've been alive. So I'll just go home. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is a Jungian dream analysis with Jed Jenkins. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't disagree with your thesis on, on that at all. Um, and then that, I mean, I guess that would flow into the soul, whatever that is. Like I, I start um, that chapter with, with confessing that I have never had a spiritual experience. Like in the way that I grew up in church, hearing people talk about um I've just never had that. Now Mm. I wanted it so bad that there have been times where I thought I had it, but I know it was, I was just willing myself into it. And I've had feelings. I've felt such awe and been moved. And you could certainly label that God and many people would, but the slightest tweak of language and it's not, it's just me having a feeling. And so I just write about the, the, the the feeling of soulness, of essence, of existence, of eternity, 
of longing that animates the body and animates our sense of self and is the root of the Judeo-Christian world. And I mean, not only that, but like much of the faith faith systems of like the whole planet, like it's almost like it, it is almost a universal human belief yep. in this concept. Yep. And I, I just kind of explore like, what, what are we talking about? when we're talking about the soul and what does it mean? There's, and what does that longing mean that there's this great image that a pastor gave me when I was in college and someone asked him, what will heaven be like? You may have heard this before. It might be super common, but it was, it blew my mind when I heard it when I was 19. He said, he said, if you asked a baby in the womb, what, life on earth is like it would say what's at first it would be like what's earth and then it would say well my life is i have these long things sticking out of my hips and my shoulders that wave around and i i think i use them to spin around in my warm soup that i live in um i have a mouth and a throat but i'm not sure why but i'm sure i maybe it's just to like for looks or something um and it life is very warm and sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's quiet and it's very cozy and like the baby thinks that's great and it would be very scary to leave the only life it's ever known and yet it has these arms and legs and a mouth and lungs and eyes it has all these things that was made for the world that it is headed to not the world it is in and it doesn't have any idea what those things could be used for, but it has them. And he was using that as an analogy to say, we were made for heaven. Life is our womb and you have longings and your sense of awe and your, and your like attraction to beauty. And he's like, these are all like, like precursors of the soul appendages that will be your source of movement in heaven Hmm. he's like and you can't possibly understand what they're for but you can feel that you have them and they're confusing to you yeah and i was just like wow what a lovely concept yeah 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 it gives a uh a very beautiful uh look at the mystery of what what soul may be yeah Um, and P.S. We don't really want the answer. <laughs> totally. Like, uh, I think you and I have chatted about chatted about this before. Like, mystery not being something that can't be known, but actually infinite knowability, right? Yeah. That Roar teaches that was so helpful to me on mystery parentheses soul parentheses essence parentheses formlessness. Um, I think we're. I think all of those words harmonize. All of those words are a bit synonymous, um, and you just get to keep turning the page. And each day is a new day to learn just what soul may be. Yes, it's endlessly knowable and never fully knowable, and I just love that. Yeah, yeah. Jed Jenkins, my brother from another mother. Um, oh. like streams to the ocean. Notes on ego, love, and the things that make us who we are. 
anywhere books are bought and sold, I'm sure we can go find it. Oh yeah. And you know, what's fun is it's now, it's now like available across Europe, India, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, even, which I've, which this is new for me. So I'm so excited because I'm just so excited for people to get their hands on it and tell me what they think. And the book, is such a cute size it's very readable i've already had it came out three days ago or four days ago and i've already had so many people say i started it at 9 p.m and i'm angry with you it's 4 a.m and i just finished it (laughs) like they just read the whole thing i love it they're like why am i awake which is like such a cool (laughs) yeah it's very it's just it's a friendly conversation that might suck you in so i hope people check it out as you always do uh, that's one of your great gifts <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so all right brother well um like always super grateful for your voice and energy in the world you always have a seat at our table and mm. when you're in texas and you're looking for a pour of some new brown water you know where to come find mm. us mm. That is an invitation I can't wait to take. Pump me full of vaccine and I'll be right there. (laughs) All right, man. Uh, Grace and and peace. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much, Ashton. See you, brother. Bye.